I want to talk to you this morning about what is of first importance. And of first importance is really what's happening here in Mark 5, this, this great rescue story that we read about here in verses 1 to 20. And, and we all, I think, as Christians in particular, we all love to hear a great rescue story, don't we? They, they are compelling to us because they point us back to the greatest rescue story ever told, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see in stories like this story of the demoniac that the greater the need that the man has, the greater the rescue seems to be in our sight, right? Now think about the great rescue that you've experienced if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He stepped into time and landed on the shore of this planet and did for you what he did for the demoniac. He set you free to follow him all your days and declare this glorious good news throughout the world. And we want to rejoice in that. I think that that's the reason why we love coming to places like Mark 5. We, we love to come here. We're drawn to this story of the demoniac here for this very reason. It's a great rescue story. Look with me. I'm going to read it. We're not going to preach through this text this morning, but I'm going to refer to it a few times. And one person in particular that you can probably guess who I will be referring to is Legion. But here I want to read through the entirety of it in your hearing. So we have that as our background as we move forward and deeper into what this great rescue story is going to show us ultimately. So beginning in verse one. Mark writes, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, demons. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. That's where I left off last time. Verse 14 says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. 
And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Ah, I hope you marvel at that as well. Just think about what Jesus has done for you. And what he's done for this man. I think that when you consider this account and how it parallels our own testimonies as Christians, I think that you were drawn to this great rescue story in a very direct way. We know that this parallels our condition previous to conversion, and it should also reflect our reaction after conversion as we see what he does in verses 19 and 20. But this man reflected or paralleled us in many ways. He was enslaved by evil, right? He was defiled, living among the dead. He was unable and unwilling to be restrained. And he was headed for destruction. And in in the world's opinion, and humanly speaking, he was in a hopeless condition until Jesus, the Son of God, shows up to rescue him. Saints, this is your story. This is every believer's story. And it should excite you. But before I move on into the text, verses 14 to 20, next time, I I do want to say this. Before I move on into Legion's rescue, from Legion's rescue to his countrymen's reaction and his own reaction to Jesus in these passages, I thought that I would stop at this point and pause for just a moment. And I thought it might be wise to take a longer look at how this rescue story we read about here and your own is ultimately accomplished. It doesn't appear that everything we know about our rescue story is in this text, right? He only saw a portion that was small and it was also restricted by time. And Christ had not yet went to the cross. But we have a greater glimpse of the glory of what happened here. And it's revealed to us in Colossians. Let's go there. Colossians 1. And I'll begin reading in verse 3. And I want to read down to verse 14. And we'll focus our attention primarily on verses 13 and 14. But I want to read the entirety here of Paul's prayer before I get to the the section here in 13 and 14 about how this rescue that we see in Mark 5 was ultimately accomplished. But let me me begin here just by reading verses 3 to 14. This is, again, this is a prayer. It's a thanksgiving prayer from the Apostle Paul to God for the work that he is doing in the people there at Colossae. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which is 
come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be controlled or filled with the knowledge of God's will, right, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. This is the ultimate reason for our great rescue story and rejoicing this morning. The same as it was for Legion. This is ultimately the reason that we have much to give thanks for, even as we gather here on a Sunday as Christians. And we should never move past the gospel as the source of our joy and a motive of our heart to declare the goodness of God to the world. We should be thrilled to come to the gospel and look at what Christ has done for us by his grace. And we should rejoice when we read rescue stories like that of Legion in Mark chapter 5. And here, when we read this, we're reading, like I said, in the midst of a a prayer, what's going on here in Paul's letter to the Colossians. he's, He's praying. But even as he's praying, we learn some very important lessons. We learn about who it is that rescued us and we learn just how he accomplished it. And and hopefully, as we look at that, we should also learn um, how we should react to this Good news story, this rescue story. Hopefully, when we get to the end of this, you will see that you should react just like Legion did when Christ sent him home to tell others about all that the Lord has done for him and how he has had mercy on him. Now, let's look at verse 13 here in Colossians. The first thing we see in Colossians 1.13 is that, number one, sinners are powerfully, powerfully rescued by God the Father. Even in verse 12, we begin to see that. It says, he's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. It's the Father who qualifies. It's the Father who is doing the work of bringing you into conformity to the image of his Son. And here's how he does it. He has delivered you. He has taken you out of something, taken you out of darkness, right? Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Saints, this is amazing news. This is what is happening with Legion in Mark chapter 5. The father has sent the son to redeem this man, to rescue him and transfer him from the dominion of darkness into the light of his son. 
Verse 13 tells us that that it is God Almighty who relocates us. Isn't that good news? You didn't find your new position on your own. You didn't seek it out in your own strength. No, it is God who sent forth his son to bring you to himself. It's the gospel that came to you that God used to call you to repentance and faith in Jesus and then relocate you and place you in the kingdom of his beloved son and make you an heir of grace. God, the father did that for us. There is no competition between the son and the father in our redemption. They work perfectly together in harmony. It's not Jesus is saving us from the hard father of the Old Testament. No, it's from the beginning. God designed this for our good to see the glory of his son. He has sought us and he has relocated us and he has placed us in his son's love for eternity. And what, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's explaining to us in a, in a word picture, if you will, what, what would have been pretty common to the people there in this time period. When he's talking about how the father delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, he, he's telling us that, that this is what a conquering king in these days would do. A conquering king would come in to a community, a region, and he would basically liberate all those who were, who were in bondage to his enemies. And in Paul's day, this, this king, as he came into this land, it was usually an impoverished land. He would come into this impoverished land and he would conquer this occupying army to display his greatness and his mercy, not just by defeating them. But by then taking those impoverished people and relocating them into his rich kingdom of love and protection. That's what Paul's saying that God has done for us. This is what should excite us. This is what should compel us to do what Jesus tells Legion to do in Mark five nineteen and 20. Go tell people. This is not only a commission. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It is a joy of the Christian's life to tell this good news story. It's your story about how God has relocated you and placed you in the rich kingdom of his son for eternity. Say, this is this is what God does for us, though we don't deserve it. He conquers this darkness in us. He conquers this evil, this sin that enslaved us. And he did it by sending his son, King Jesus, to conquer it in our place. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered death all for us because we cannot conquer it on our own. We couldn't free ourselves from these masters. And nor did we really want to, according to Scripture. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 to see what we were like before God intervened through the work of his son. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And see if this does not resonate with you, that it testifies to the parallel condition of your life and my life pre-salvation with that of legion, pre-redemption and deliverance. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Sounds like legion. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This was our condition before we were relocated by God's mercy and grace through the work of his son. This is who we are apart from redemption. This is where where we were enslaved to dwell and finally find eternal destruction apart from God's intervention in Christ. We couldn't free ourselves from this condition. And Romans 8 says we didn't even want to. Romans 8, we're unable and unwilling to even do this, it says here. Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There is no desire. There is no ability for us to deliver ourselves from this domain of darkness. God had to intervene, and he does through the person and work of his son. When you read these passages and you look at Legion's testimony of his life, you see the parallel with your own. You realize that we all once lived in this domain of darkness, just like Legion. We were all spiritually impoverished, enslaved to sin, spiritually dead and unable and unwilling to come out of the darkness until. Oh, God, thank you for this. Until God stepped in, God sent the light of Christ, the good news into this world to pierce the darkness of our shores and lead us out of the darkness by his power and his mercy and grace that is all seen in our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's what Ephesians goes on to tell us in chapter two, verse four. Though we were all these things, dead, followers of Satan, entrapped by our own passions, it says, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, his mercies toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for you are his poime, his his produce, his his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Saints, there is no greater work that we can walk in than to tell this story to all those we encounter in our world. This is the great work that you were saved to proclaim. And everyone here can do it. You don't have to be a pastor to do it. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher to do it. You don't have to be a deacon to do it. You can all do what Legion does. He gets up and goes. He tells his family first. He tells his friends. Then he goes to every city in the Decapolis. That's ten cities. He can't, he can't and doesn't want to keep quiet about this good news. 
Listen, the reason you're here today and not in heaven, the reason I'm 52 years old today and not in heaven is only for this reason. So that we can continue as long as we have breath in our lungs to declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and his redeeming love. That's why we're here. That's when we gather on a Sunday. That's when we're here on Wednesday. That's when we do small groups. It's all because of him and for him and to him that we do these things. So that his name would be made famous throughout the ages. Saints, this is your calling. This is your great story. Your good news rescue story. Aren't you glad? Aren't you so glad that that God has stepped in and, and rescued you and relocated you this morning? Aren't you thrilled by that? If you're thrilled by that, aren't you telling people about it? Why aren't we? Maybe we think we're going to be ridiculed, persecuted, attacked. Yes, to all those things. Yes, you will. But so is our Lord and Savior who left heaven's glory to come and redeem us, to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross to reconcile us to God. Listen, if he hadn't stepped in, if God hadn't intervened, if the Father hadn't sent the Son, we would still be in the kingdom of darkness. We would still be dominated by sin. You would still be dominated by your depravity. You would still be dominated by the curse of eternal death and damnation. But God, by his sovereign grace, stepped in. Not because you were worthy, but because you were certainly needy. So was I. And now we are able to rejoice at this rescue story. We're able to rejoice at this revelation of God's intervention in Christ Jesus. We're able to rejoice in the light of Christ and his kingdom. And then we're able to joyfully now lead others to it by proclaiming it to them as if we really believe it. We're not dominated by sin any longer. We should be dominated by the love of Christ That compels us to go to the lost. Not to notch our Bibles. Not to say we do street evangelism. Not to to make anything of ourselves. But to make much of Jesus. And rejoice and worship him. Through telling of this good news rescue story. That he has given to us. For his glory and for his praise. That's what Paul seems to be doing every time he writes a letter. You notice that there's a theme right in every epistle. Jesus and his glorious grace. Back in Colossians 1.14, the Apostle Paul actually begins to, in one verse, simplify this rescue story. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul tells us just how God did this. This seems so simple, but yet it's so phenomenal when you think about this. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus became our propitiation, our appeasing offering to God on our behalf. He 
purchased us. And if you read further into Colossians 1 down to verse 22, you see how he did it. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God the Father. He made peace, verse 20 says, by the blood of his cross. This is how we are personally rescued and relocated by God. It's his son's blood that purchased our redemption, our deliverance, our freedom. It is Jesus and his redeeming love and his forgiveness that he grants us through his righteous life and sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. Now, I know the majority here know this message well, could probably say it better than me, but I get the pulpit right now. And this is on my heart. We are personally, verse 14 tells us that we are Not just powerfully relocated, right? We are personally rescued and relocated by the blood of God's own son, Jesus Christ. We read through these, blow through these so quickly sometimes, thinking about all types of things. And we fail to pause and give God praise and be amazed at what this revelation tells us. I mean, how often do you stop as a Christian daily? How often do you stop and really consider that your sovereign rescue and relocation was paid for by the blood of God, the son who humbled himself to the point of death, the humiliating death on a cross because of your sin and mine, not because he had any because he had none. The righteous, sinless son of God, holy, undefiled, separated from sinners, comes into this world to personally and, let me add, completely, completely purchase you out of this dominion of darkness that you dwelt in willingly. When you were his enemy, he did this. How much more now does his love reconcile us? Do you feel the weightiness Of Jesus' work of redemption when you read gospel accounts, rescue stories like Mark 5. I think you should, and I think we will. When we, again, stop for a moment, when we come to these places, and we consider the fact that apart from Jesus doing this, apart from his, his, his divine intercession and his supernatural compassion for sinners like us, Apart from that, we would still be, as I said, dominated by sin, headed for damnation justly because of our sins. Our sins deserve this. This is the wage of our sin. This is what it pays. It pays death, eternal separation from God under his wrath for eternity. Our sins deserve this. They deserve God's full and furious and holy wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, he stepped in to the person and work of his son. I know I'm repeating myself. It is worth repeating, saints. How often do we still need to preach the gospel to ourselves? When you fail, when you fall short and you think, I can do something to straighten this out. God's not happy with me anymore. He doesn't love me as much as he used to. And you think, I'll do this and I'll work harder. He'll love me more. If you think that way, you need to hear this message. 
Because you can't do anything to be more loved by God than what Jesus has done for you. To try to do so is to say that his work was not sufficient. So quit trying and start resting. Look to Christ, not to your own strength. God steps in through the personal work of his son. And instead of giving us what we truly deserve and have earned, God sent his son to take it for us. He sent his son into this darkness, into this world of sin and depravity. And he sent his son here to retrieve us personally by paying our sin debt as our substitute. The righteous one, the substitute, is righteous and holy, yet he comes to die for the sins of his people, to receive the penalty that we deserve. Church, I hope you realize that this morning. Folks, I hope everyone here knows that, believes that, and is amazed by that. I hope you are amazed today, if you're born again, that on the cross, the Lord Jesus himself The sinless son of God, the sinless, if you will, lamb of God. That's what John tells us, John the Baptist. This Jesus was treated as if he was the filthiest sinner that ever lived, though he was truly sinless. And he was treated this way because that's what our sins deserved. They deserved the wrath of God, the father. And because of our sins, the sinless one comes to receive the full penalty, to bear our guilt, to reveal to us the greatness of God's grace and love for us. That's what we see in Romans 5. Romans 5, beginning in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be rescued, saved by his righteous life. To Christ earned what we could never deserve. He obediently followed the father's will to grant to us the righteous life that God demands of each one of us. Through his life, now we stand before God, not with a zero balance, but with the credits of Jesus Christ and his righteousness laid upon us, robed in his perfection, clothed in his life. When the father sees us, he no longer sees our sins. He sees the work of his son and he is well pleased. The reason the gospel has to be this way, the reason the gospel is this way, the reason that Jesus comes as our substitute in this way to reconcile us, to bring us back and relocate us, to redeem us, is because man is the one who had broken God's law. And a man, therefore, must die to uphold God's holy justice. So what's God do? He plans before the foundation of the world, before Adam fell in the garden. He plans to send forth his son 
who would become a man to uphold his holy justice and reveal to us his great love for sinners and do so in a personal way. Jesus does this by living in complete obedience to God's law, not just externally, but from the heart. His desire was to do the will of the Father when our desire is to always kick against it. And we finally submit to it, not Jesus. He always wanted to do the Father's will. So he submits to the Father in all that he does. And then not only does he live this perfect life in our place, he then By God's design and for our good and his praise, Jesus then receives, receives the father's full wrath against our sins. And when the father sees the son sacrifice, he doesn't think to himself, you know, I'm going to I'm going to punish him so I can make an example of him. So people will do right and do better. It's not what he does. See, our sins were imputed to Jesus. At least the the guilt of our sins was imputed to Jesus. He didn't sin, but our sins were imputed to him at the cross. There's a great exchange that takes place. When the father sees our guilt laid upon his son, the father does not hold back one ounce of his full and furious wrath He pours out the whole vial upon Jesus in our stead. And as a result of that wrath being poured out on him, there's also an exchange taking place where the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. And we are no longer seen as his enemies, but as his sons and daughters. God poured out on his own son this whole vial of wrath Because Jesus was willing to be slain in our place. That's why when we read Romans 8, 1, that's why we can proclaim that now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's why. Because Jesus was condemned in our place already. There's no condemnation coming for us if we believe upon Jesus. It was satisfied by his atoning work. That is the ultimate reason that Legion should go out and tell his family and friends and neighbors and cities around him about what Jesus has done for him. And that's why we should desire to do the same. Why we should go out and proclaim this good news to the world with with the same kind of zeal that, that Legion had with great joy, with great confidence. He, I love Legion's story because at the end, you see, he immediately goes and does what the Lord commands. Not because he's forced. Not because he thinks he'll get in the boat if he goes and does this. No, Jesus is leaving. He goes out of the joy of the overflow of his heart for what Jesus has truly done for him. And he has been called to be an ambassador for this one. That's why we go. That's when we share the gospel. Anything else will lead to legalism and frustration. So Mark's telling us in Mark 5, 19 to 20, that's what Legion was doing. He was doing it out of this joy. He wanted to proclaim how powerfully and mercifully Jesus rescued him. And here's what you need to understand, saints. We know something about this rescue mission 
that Christ was on in Legion's time that Legion didn't know. I've just been sharing it with you. We can now see what Legion couldn't fully see at his time. We can see that there's something more glorious going on than just a deliverance of demons here. We can see that our sovereign rescuer who does intervene, steps into this world, is also the one who becomes our merciful and personal savior. He's not a cold, calculating, distant deity. No, he comes into this world to redeem us through his own blood, through his own sacrifice. And so now we can see more than Legion could see about Jesus, though he was looking at him face to face. We can see that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was promised. The one who would live the perfect life in our place and who would who would live and never die because he himself was righteous. And so the grave couldn't hold him. And he did this to reconcile us to God personally and powerfully. Not only do we see that he's the Lamb of God, we can see more about Jesus than Legion could ever have imagined. Not just being the lamb who takes our place to receive our wrath, but he also became the scapegoat who took away our guilt, our sin forever and released us from God's wrath and that guilt completely and eternally. In him we are secure. See, saints, we now see in full what Legion could only see in part. And the reason for that is, is because we now see through the lens of the cross and the resurrection that even in the Old Testament symbols and types, God is working out a divine redeeming plan for man in Christ. One of those was illustrated in Leviticus 16. Go there with me. I'll give you a moment to get there. I want us to read this together. We now can connect the dots that Legion couldn't connect. And here we see... In this section, I'll read in Leviticus 16 that in the Old Testament, God's divine redeeming plan for us in Christ is being illustrated through these types and shadows. Beginning in verse 7 down to 10, and then I'll read verse 20 down to 22. It's speaking of the Old Testament priests here in verse 7. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Aziel, the scapegoat. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. This is a propitiatory offering, an appeasement, right? It's appeasing God's wrath against their sins temporarily. And now we know that until Christ comes, right? That's what's happening. But the goat on which the lot fell for Aziel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away as far as the east is from the west. You get it? Into the wilderness of Aziel. Verse 20. And when he, had, when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions of their sins, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man 
who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. In 20 to 22, we see the act of expiation taking place. And we now know that it was Christ who carried away our sins. And he did it by his propitiatory work on the cross. So here, here we see something that Legion couldn't see. We should be excited about this. We see that the sins of Israel were symbolically imputed or, or passed onto the goat, right? When the priest pressed both hands on the head of the goat, confessing their sinfulness and the guilt of himself as well and all the people. And then that goat was led out into the wilderness to carry away their sins forever. Saints, this, this was but a symbol of what the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God himself, would do for us on the cross. It is Jesus who ultimately this is pointing to. It is Jesus who is led outside the camp into the wilderness of Golgotha. And there he had our sins pressed down upon his head by his Father in order to rescue sinners like us. Isaiah helps us see this a little more clearly. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 10. Beginning verse 10 down to verse 12. Here in this section, Isaiah gives us an even clearer image of how our rescue is accomplished. This is a very powerful and personal rescue that we are witnessing here. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Dekah means to trample to death. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, it's propitiation. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, Christ, the father shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he, that's Jesus, shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. To crush utterly till unrecognizable Jesus was crushed to death by our sin, ultimately. The weight of our sin falling on him caused the Father to crush him. Isaiah tells us that it's the Father who did this crushing. And he did it at the cross, we now know. There at the cross, Jesus bore the weight, the full weight of our sins. And he was crushed under that weight for our guilt. But he's doing that for a purpose. And this is part of God's redeeming love, his glorious gospel. It's to set us free from sin's penalty. He was fully satisfied with the work of his son so that we could be set free to follow him all our days. Now, here's here's my question. I'll, I'll wrap it up here pretty soon, but... Thinking about this, this is something that we're all very familiar with here at Sovereign Grace, this message. I imagine even our children know this message well, by God's grace. But I need to ask you, even though I think that most of you are born again, I don't think all of you are. 
I got to ask you an important question. Is this your rescue story that you rejoice in? Do you really and truly believe that Jesus came to the shores of earth to take your place, to atone for your sins, to personally reconcile you to God himself? Do you believe that? Or do you think that he was just dying for a mass of humanity and that if we just gamble and does this, maybe some will come to him? Or do you believe that he was standing in your stead at the cross and receiving this penalty that you deserved, that I deserved? Because of that, you have been set free from your sin and guilt. You receive forgiveness and you have absolute assurance that when you die, you will enter into God's presence Without fear of condemnation. If you don't have that assurance that when you die, you will stand face to face with your creator, your God. And be unashamed because you are cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. If you don't have that, I want you to have that today. I want you to have that assurance today. I can do no greater duty as a minister of the gospel than to preach this message to you day in and day out if you don't know Jesus. And even if you do, this is a sanctifying message for the saints. Do you ever wondered, did he really do this for me? Was I really worth this sacrifice? Do I really deserve this kind of love? And the answer is no, you don't. And neither do I. But the good news is that God's redeeming love for us isn't based on our worthiness, our abilities. We have nothing to offer God but our neediness and sin. So thankfully, our acceptance by God is based on someone who is worthy. Our acceptance is based on the work and the worth of his own son, our righteous substitute, who reconciled us, who rescued us. A legion, back in Mark 5, I think serves to help remind us of this. He he reminds us that our standing before God isn't based on anything we could contribute to, right? Anything that we brought to the table except our sin. Legion helps us be be reminded of this, that, that he himself obviously wasn't very lovely before God. He wasn't worthy of this salvation. He was needy, though, right? He needed to be redeemed. He needed to be rescued. He needed to be brought out of the darkness into the light because he was defiled and he was helpless. And he recognized these things when God opened his eyes at the sight of Jesus. God set him free. Saints, here's what you need to know. Friends, here's what you need to know. You don't have to be worthy to be saved because you're never going to be on your own. But you do have to believe that you're not deserving You cannot put any hope in your self-righteousness, any kind of works that you may do or have done in the past, your ministry, your devotion time. You must look to Christ and Christ alone and recognize how needy you truly are apart from him. You need Christ, the altogether lovely one who came to earth to rescue you. You needed him at conversion and you need him throughout your sanctification. And you're going to need him in glory. The cross of Christ is the center of praise in heaven. We'll never get past the gospel. We'll sing of it every day. Jesus came to rescue those who are sick, not the healthy. Sinners, not the righteous. 
And if you see your sinful condition before God and know that you have no hope in and of yourself, but only in Jesus, look to him and be saved today. The son of God appeared to Legion in Mark five to grant him what he needed most, but what he also didn't deserve and he could never earn. And God does this in Christ because salvation is a gift from God that he is willing to give freely to all those who repent of their sins. I mean, to turn from trusting in your sin, to loving your sin, to resting in the comfort of your sin. Turn from your sin and trust, put all your confidence in the life and the death and the resurrection of God's son, Jesus. Now, if you haven't done that this morning, I beg you in Christ's name to be reconciled to God through Christ. If you have done that this morning already, and you are a Christian, you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then here's your commission, here's your encouragement, here's your motivation. Then you should want to go out and tell people about it. Right? That's what, that's what Legion does. No one twisted his arm. No one forced him into this. You should want to go share your gospel rescue story, just like Legion in Mark 5.20. Legion goes out, and I love it, because again, it's an immediate response to Jesus' command. And it's a command that's given in light of a transformation that has taken place that radically changed this man's life. And so Legion joyfully goes forth to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. Saints, how much has he done for you? Is he worthy of a joyful obedience to go and tell others and share this good news. Yes, he is. He's worthy of all of our praise and evangelism one-on-one, on the street, in a group, wherever. That is one way you can glorify God and worship him. You share this great story. So Here's the question. If you have received Christ already, you've been a believer for a long time. Do you still long to proclaim your rescue story like Legion? You should. Maybe you think, well, I don't have Legion's testimony on this radical transformation from being demon possessed to being set free in the right mind and clothed and so forth. But yeah, you actually have the similar testimony if you're a Christian. You actually have a greater testimony, though, than even Legion. It's greater in the sense that your testimony now includes how Jesus was not only your sovereign rescuer who took on flesh, but he's also your personal redeemer that went to the cross to secure your eternal salvation through his perfect life and his sacrifice and his resurrection. Amen. So now go home and proclaim this good news to everyone you meet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your immense grace toward us in Christ. For the mercy you've shown us through this rescue, this redemption, this reconciliation, this relocation into the kingdom of your beloved son. We thank you for the way in which you sought us and how Christ bought us with his own blood. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes to see our depravity and then see immediately the glorious one who took our place to grant us a righteous life we could never earn nor deserve. By faith, we trust in you, God. We rejoice in you. And Lord, if there are any here today, and I know there are, there are children here today, there are others here today visiting, they don't know you. 
I do pray by your sovereign grace, through the power of your spirit, working through the preaching of the gospel, you would regenerate darkened souls today and grant them the light of the truth in Jesus Christ. I pray all this in his name for your glory. Amen.